2: Oh, and welcome to transporter lock episode number 72 for sunday january 3rd 2021 we made it through this dumpster fire along with my co-host
1: <laughs> <Yippee-ki-yay>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was one of those holiday seasons for sure
1: um yeah 2020 uh wow i'm glad we're, we had Starship to get through there a little bit which was nice yeah.
2: We had a lot. We had Picard, yeah. we had Lower Decks, we had Discovery, probably more Star Trek than we've ever seen in a year.
1: Yeah, and I was but on the down note, I was also looking just before you guys came online to talk today, I was looking at this list of all the Star Trek people we've lost this year in Oh. Like, no. oh yeah, oh the like and I mean a few background actors and, and I mean I mean a number of them, but I won't go through the whole list. But and uh, on that happy note, um did we introduce ourselves?
2: I introduced myself.
1: Oh man, I just didn't remember hearing your name. Hi, I'm Captain Gabriel Maston. And <laughs> we already have <laughs> a guest today.
2: We do have a guest. Welcome aboard, Captain of Engineering, Neil Beardsley. Oh, thank you.
0: Hello, everyone.
2: <laughs> Hello, Neil. <laughs> so we always ask our guests like who are you? What's your favorite Star Trek? But first we have to get this out of the way. Captain of Engineering?
0: <laughs> yes, it's a rarity. Uh I'm only aware of <laughs> one person to have attained this uh, rank the same as me, who is uh, Montgomery Scott, of course. So I'm in I'm in a, a rare rare group of fantastic people.
1: So,
2: well, you know, you're from those old scientists, the Tos era. So you know, except can be <laughs> made. Yes, I think really you just want to outrank me, the chief of engineering.
0: Well, you know, you're stuck on one ship probably, and I get to travel uh, among many. So. I wouldn't say I'm better than you, just different than you.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a relief (laughs) because I was going to put in for a transfer, but if I just have to wait it out until you leave, then I can do that. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) Okay. So Neil, tell us a little bit about yourself. What brings you to the show today?
0: Uh, So as you mentioned, I'm I'm Neil Beardsley, commonly known online as N.A. Beards. Um, I started watching Discovery uh, maybe eight months ago. Um, and I've, and have caught up and i'm now on you know the the full release schedule and have been watching star trek off and on since nineteen eighty nine um and wow. i've always enjoyed it uh started with the next generation um I hope my timing's right on that seems about right <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah i I actually started watching discovery when it um not when it first came out, but maybe. A year ago, and I watched the first couple of episodes and it, for whatever reason, didn't click with me at the time. But then uh, a couple of other friends had said they were were sticking through it and enjoying it. So I started watching it all over again um, a few months after that.
2: Awesome. Do you have a... And you've been watching during the pandemics a lot of other Star Trek too. Yes. uh,
0: So I just finished uh, Voyager. I watched the entire series uh, over the exact same timeline that I was watching Discovery. Um, and it was kind of good to watch the last season again, because I feel like I forgot so much of it. Um, and I would have to say for me in Voyager, uh, the most powerful episode is actually the episode where Neelix left, uh, which oh. I believe is the third or fourth to last of the series. Yeah. yeah. And that was really, uh, okay. I'm a big baby and I cried. Um, mm-hmm. but it was just so... Touching and, and dramatic and then watching the finale after that i, w- I was i was actually a little let down because the the finale was just so i felt like it just they got back to the alpha quadrant and the episode ends and you're like well wait <laughs> i feel like there's so much <laughs> unresolved stuff here um yeah so but overall i i, I really do uh, enjoy voyager i
2: think it's a great series would you say it's your favorite star trek series
0: um, I guess, I guess not. Um, I, I guess it for me to judge something to be my favorite would be something that if I came across it already playing somewhere, I will gladly watch it. Um, and I guess the next generation of, uh, for Star Trek is the one that does that for me. It, there could be any episode on and I will gladly watch it. So I guess that's my favorite. Maybe it's partly nostalgia there, but.
2: Well, Next Generation is also a very easy series to jump into. Like if you're if you see DS nine coming on first, you have to figure out okay, what season is this? Who's alive? Who's dead? Who's a changeling? Who's not? And then you can enjoy the episode. But TNG, you're just like you know the players, and that's all you need.
0: Right. Similar to the classic, you know, each episode was very, almost very standalone. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly, there was an overarching storyline, but uh, right definitely more standalone than some of the other series
2: now for discovery there was a brief pause or delay between when captain sabriel and i watched the episode and when you did because they're delivered a little bit later where you are in costa rica
0: yes yes that's correct so we received them via international i'm trying to think of something cool to say but i don't have anything um so (laughs) coconut coconut (laughs) Yes, yes the coconut wire delivers it um and we actually get it here on Netflix, um, which is kind of interesting because uh, <laughs> everything Netflix shows here that is exclusive to some other station in the U.S. is is promoted here as a Netflix original series. And I just think it's funny. So <laughs> so here, Star Trek Discovery is a Netflix original series. <laughs> that's weird. Yes, it's very
2: strange. That's, that's- <laughs> really false advertising
1: that <laughs> happens with uh shows that are outside the u.s that are broadcast here as well uh, uh L- yes. lilihammer uh, comes to mind right away it's one of the first netflix originals quote-unquote i started watching years huh. ago netflix original even though it was made by a norwegian tv show and it just pot- bought by netflix
2: <sighs> yes and it's available in other countries via means other than netflix
1: uh at least in norway it was on tv tv That's so weird. (laughs) And what is it that brings you to Costa Rica?
0: So um, like you can, in real life, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a a, a digital nomad. So uh, my wife and I are full-time travelers. And we just happened to be here when the pandemic hit. And we have been very fortunate that the government of Costa Rica has uh, consistently extended our tourist visas with no effort on our part whatsoever. Uh, so we've stayed here because the case count has been significantly lower than uh, the United States, as well as many other places. So we, we just enjoy being here and out in the country and fresh air. <laughs> I mean,
2: it's a it's a beautiful place to be, quote unquote, stranded, and yes. it is certainly a lot safer. But I imagine you would prefer to be there by by choice as opposed to you don't have really the option to go anywhere else.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly been a challenge. Um, we, uh, we, uh, my wife especially is a big planner. So, um, we had lots of grand plans for the last year and have had to make and break them a couple of times, um, before she finally gave up. (laughs) Um, So it's it's really been uh probably the last six months of like, okay, we just can't plan anything. Um but we're we're fortunate that Costa Rica, although basically the size of South Carolina, uh, is quite diverse in its topology. Ooh, using big words. Um I'm currently in the mountains. Uh, we actually moved down to the coast for a few months. Uh, so we were at the beach, um, and it was just a completely different experience. And actually, since we've been here, we bought a car for the first time in seven years. I think it's been seven years since we had a car. Um, so we we bought a little, you know, four by four 1988 Samurai Suzuki and have been able to get everywhere we want to go in the country, which is kind of nice. It is definitely a... Uh four-by-four four accessible country. <laughs> there are definitely <laughs> some places you need that to go exploring. So we've, we've been able to kind of branch out here, even though in many respects we're stuck here. So that's been uh, able to keep our sanity.
2: And have you named this shuttlecraft of yours?
0: Cheeky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the USS Cheeky. Yes. How uh,
0: na- Named after a delicious uh, sandwich cookie that they sell here. So...
2: Of course. <laughs> you see the connection. You, you yeah. didn't buy me one of those when I was down there. What the heck, man? No,
0: we just discovered it this trip, my friend.
2: Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> and the reason I was visiting you and the reason you call me your friend is because you and I go back 22 years to undergraduate. Yes. Yes. That's a long time. <laughs> it is. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe we haven't killed each other. <laughs> someday, my friend. Someday. someday.
1: someday. <laughs> your I'll honor like, depends uh, on it.
2: <laughs> it's like that that i think there was a movie about this group of friends who were playing tag for like 20 years
1: oh wow that sounds familiar
2: and like one of them would show up at the other person's wedding and just interrupt and run up and smack him and say you're it wow so, so that's gonna be you and me neil just look behind every bush you don't know when i'm gonna jump out so, but anyway we are here today to talk about star trek transporter lock season three episode 12 originally called the good of the people Now renamed, there is a tide. The last three episodes of the season have been renamed. We discussed this a little bit last week, and they're continuing that trend. I'll give a very brief TLDR, which is that Osira, in command of the Discovery, leaps both of her ships back to Federation headquarters, and she sneaks the Discovery into the uh, shield bubble that they have, not to attack the Federation headquarters, but rather to engage in parley, with Admiral Vance about the Emerald Chain and the Federation uniting to form one mega-Federation. In fact, there is no war between the two in this episode. Meanwhile, Discovery uh, is infiltrated by Book and Michael, who fly their ship through some sort of a quantum slipstream back Federation headquarters. They crash-land into the shuttle bay of the Discovery. Burnham goes full diehard, crawling through air ducts without shoes in order to take out the bad guys. She ships Michael uh, Michael Stamets, Paul Stamets, into Federation headquarters, off to Discovery, so that the bad guys don't have what they need to engage the spore drive. And also there is a Emerald Chain scientist who feels conflicted about what he's trying to do. Did I miss anything?
1: You got the good... You got, you got <clears throat> the, the TLDR? That's good. Yeah,
2: that's a good TLDR. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. So, we have, a, we have a lot going on here. We have... Michael and Book. We have Tilly and her crew who are also trying to take back the ship. We have uh, Osira and Admiral Vance doing a lot of talky-talk. Where do we want to begin reviewing this episode?
1: Uh, My first thought is, Grudge has a safe room. Oh,
2: thank goodness. Priorities here. (laughs)
1: Last week I was upset that Grudge was in danger. This week we find out she has a safe room.
2: So is it just like a, a cat room like many people have?
1: Uh, Well, there's like force fields and barricades, like all this stuff. They had a little picture of it going on.
2: Oh, so when you talk about barricades, you mean like that little fence that you swing open and close? Yep,
1: yep, yep, no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or the gate just big enough for a cat, but not for a dog. Unless maybe it's a pug.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. But I I just want to I'm glad they already addressed this. I'm guessing they heard us talking about it and went back and did some edits real quick.
2: That's right. Uh.
1: Pretty,
0: Pretty sure that's what happened.
2: Yeah, yeah, kind of like in Snakes on a Plane when they went back and added more swear words. (laughs) Yeah, very illogical.
0: So I think uh, Sabriel, that that scene reminds me that that is when Michael tells Book for the first time that she loves her consciously, or loves him consciously. Uh, Apparently she has said it in her sleep prior to this. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I thought that was a a landmark or a milestone uh, of the series at this point.
1: Yeah, he's going to live now. Yeah. (laughs) Now we know he's going (laughs) to live. He's sticking around.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I loved that scene for a couple of reasons. One, well, both reasons Neil just pointed out, which is that she's never really said this. I I don't remember if she said it to Ash Tyler, but we, we know from season one, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, that she's never been in love prior to that episode. And the only lover she's had since then, besides Book, tried to kill her. So that's, you know, not a great track record. So... For her to have a guy that she can unabashedly say this to without reservation is awesome. She didn't like hesitate or make a big deal out of it. And in fact, it was so, it was delivered so without reservation that it felt like she had said it before, mm. and and that was I thought a great delivery because it doesn't need to be momentous. It just needs to be this is a fact. This is how I feel.
1: I was okay with it. I mean, if it it fits, they've been here. They've been doing through a bunch of stuff, but. Uh, you know, me and hetero, so. <laughs> because, well, I'm glad they had their moment. I'm glad they had their moment. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and also, I loved what, as Neil said, that book said, Oh, you said in your sleep. That's such a cl- clever variation on Han Solo's, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good point. I like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so you think this means that book has to live? Because I feel like somebody has to die.
1: Uh you know, I, I think they're not gonna live this time. Sometimes everybody lives.
2: <sighs> How boring. How disappointing. <laughs> uh, what a letdown.
1: The, the doctor will not like to hear that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well you know, actually that's something else I didn't mention in the TLDR is what we didn't see in this episode, which was Saru, Culber, and Adira all back on the Dilithium planet with Sokal. Right.
1: Yeah, they're they're all setting up for part two, I'm guessing. Uh, we had more important things to figure out here. I'm
0: actually curious if this is going to be a a pause of the storyline that we've been following with with Michael and going back to the Federation, if we'll either um, you know, return to the Dilithium planet and so we'll have an entire episode of what's happening there. Or 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 might we even, you know, do something crazy like go back to um, what happened to Mirror Universe Lady, whose name escapes me at this minute?
1: <laughs> uh, yes, oh, Oh, she is done. She is done. She's got her own show going on. Oh, and so she, we she is done on Discovery.
2: Yeah, okay. the reason they sent her into the past is because she's contracted to have her own Section Thirty-One spin-off series.
0: Oh, how depressing. Okay,
1: I mean. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, at the end of season two, they left Ash Tyler running it, and we don't want that.
1: No more of him. Please make sure like, when she goes back, he's gone.
2: Can you imagine Ash Tyler's boss saying, like, dude, you're doing such a terrible job. We hired somebody from the future to replace (laughs) Like, whoa. We have to go
1: to a different dimension to get this candidate. (laughs)
2: Like, you are the worst Section 31 leader we have ever had we are all dumber <laughs> for what you've done here and I award God you it. no point points.
0: and may God have mercy on your soul yes <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. I, I thought I was, I'm kind of jumping all over the place but I think I was just going to get it right away get to it right away Paul Stamets in this episode and the hell that he had to go through both with Aurelio and with Michael yeah. Mm. Like when he's trying to to humanize himself when he's captured, captured, Aurelio here's talking to him. He keep uh, Aurelio keep talking about the sport drive, you know, and his thing. I have to talk about his family. And here, Paul's is trying to humanize himself. Like, oh, I've got a family too. And he even calls Adira his kid. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I wrote my notes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It took Uh, me a second to realize he meant Adira because I didn't realize. I mean, we've been talking about them as space dads, but I didn't realize the connection was that tight after less than a season.
1: I mean, off air and whatever like that. I mean, they have this real connection. They've been showing us this connection growing. Yeah. Yeah. But then Michael Mm. does not want to do what she's going to do. Yeah. And because she had to knock him out because he was like, all right, we're going to go jump and save my family. Uh, like like his what? What did I write? He wrote down his thing like my whole life is in that nebula, Uh talking about Hugh and Adira. Uh, And he was just about to ready, ready to jump Discovery, not caring who's on board or what's going on, just to go rescue them. And she had to knock him out and put him in a tube of safety, uh, launching him into space where he'll be safe from uh Osira, uh towards the Federation. And that the screaming and yelling. The, the, oh my god. Uh I'm mean, yeah. feeling emotional just thinking about it. It was so powerful.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but he also really hit Burnham below the belt with some of the things he said.
1: We came to the future for you. Hugh came to the future for you. Like Oh, so you wouldn't have to be alone. Yeah,
2: yeah uh, I mean you should you shouldn't have come to the future only to hold it against them later.
1: I don't think he was that was the reason. He was just an outbreak of emotion.
0: Yeah. Do you think it was the right decision for Michael to stop him from doing that, from jumping based uh, on what we've now seen the rest of the episode play out. Like I, I in retrospect, yes. I was like, gosh, what if they had just jumped because Osira was not on board then um, kind of things were already in motion for Tilly and her team to, to escape captivity. Um,
1: I don't know that she knew or was away.
0: Right. That's very true. She
1: might have, I just could, I don't know. She knew it for sure. Um, but I think it was the right thing.
2: Yeah, regardless of who was on board, the ship was still under enemy control, and one of Booker's playing cards was, I know how to get to the Deathlethane planet. I know where it is. And if Samus had just jumped them right there, there there's no guarantee that they would have had access to the transporters to bring Culber, Saru, and Adira back, and even if they could, the ship would still be under enemy control, so now they would just have three more prisoners, including a captain. And now the Emerald Chain would know where the Dilithium planet is. True. So at first, I was like, yes, let's jump back. Let's rescue those people immediately. But then I was like, wait a minute. Will jumping lead to them being rescued? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is no. Good call. Although I, I will say that when Stamets was referring to his partner as Hugh, I'm so used to hearing him called Culber, I started thinking, wait, are the Borg here, too?
1: Oh, <laughs> what?
2: Like Hugh? Hugh, the Hugh. Oh, oh, Hugh! <laughs> because we don't know what has happened to the Borg in the last nine hundred and thirty years.
1: Oh, we don't, but that uh, <laughs> that that no, uh, that did not occur to me.
2: <laughs> well, I, I there can be only one Hugh. That's what that's I right. Saying.
1: That's right. Canonically.
2: <laughs> and what if they are the same? No, never mind. Yeah. Because we had Hugh on Star Trek Picard. But anyway, moving had. on. Had. <laughs> oh, spoiler. <laughs> oh, I
0: haven't watched any of Picard. Uh, I can't get that here. I, at least I haven't found it here. Really? Yeah. Oh. Oh,
2: we
1: didn't and say did. where Hugh comes back. Oh, no, no. no it's okay.
2: <laughs> you don't have season two of Short Treks either, right? That's correct. Uh, so I, I actually did a
0: little bit of research on that. So Netflix bought the rights to the first uh, Short Treks, uh, but then passed on the second season so I can't see that (laughs) I have no access to the short tracks from uh after season two so yeah I did I did watch the first ones um which were great um but yeah kind of Ken was you know can you recommend that I watch those ones specifically and I was kind of like yeah that'd be great but I haven't been able to find them (laughs) as 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 said to you I would look for them and if I would watch them if I could find them legally and I have been unable to do so so that is very sad for me
2: <laughs> well, well, the good news is that three of the four first season short tracks tied directly into Discovery, including Calypso, which we don't know how it ties in yet. Mm-hmm. Season two of short treks, in my opinion, is more filler, and it's no less fun and entertaining, but it is less critical viewing. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, and I would say the, the first short treks, although directly tied in, were certainly not necessary to understand the storyline, because I obviously didn't see them until... Uh, last week so <laughs> um halfway through season three Um they were still interesting to watch um, but certainly not necessary to keep up with the storyline.
2: Sure so the reason that Burnham was able to save Paul well actually let's talk a little bit more about Paul in the first place I was interested in the technology that was used to like inhibit his neurons it seems like he was still somehow self-aware and conscious even if he couldn't control himself because when he came out of that thing he was not surprised that he was tied up he had already noticed aurelio's marks behind his ear which there's nothing there's no way he could have seen that from where he was standing at that moment so he must have been observing these things while he was in that trance yeah and it reminded me of he was like i'm
0: i'm drawing the blank on why he was in a very similar state before when Uh, his husband was murdered by,
2: um, bad guy, dude. (laughs) I'm terrible with names. Uh, I know who they are. He was,
1: yeah, he was in that state in season one.
2: Because he had just made like 50 jumps in a row to defeat the ship of the dead. That's right. Yeah. Sort of a fugue state.
1: Yeah. And he looked
0: like, I don't know, identical to that. I don't know if if you felt that way, but like the same, you know, eyes went mostly white, um, and kind of had that good description fugue state uh feeling about him so i was just curious if this meant like how did they design this device to put him back into that state or has that state become known as some level of state or was it just his reaction to that device putting him back into that state because that's how he is when he's unable to control himself
2: I, I think it's portrayed similarly on screen, but I think they are different effects because the first time, he was somehow still connected to the mycelial network, which is actually how they were able to bring Culber back. Right. Whereas this time, I, he as soon as they put that headset on, he entered that state even before he put his hands into the GUI interface. Right. Hmm. So I, I don't think they're the same thing. It's just more broadly indicating that he doesn't really have control of himself. That's my take.
1: Okay. I can. Yeah.
2: Now this, uh, this scientist, uh, uh, Aurelio. Aurelio.
1: Aurelio. 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 You had it right. You had it right. Okay.
2: Do any of you, uh, before I get too didactic, do any of you recognize the actor?
1: I wouldn't have until I saw everyone talking about it online. I have no idea. I'm bad with actors though. (laughs) Uh,
0: I know him as the brother from Jericho. Oh, I've never seen Jericho. Is that a good show? Uh, apparently not. Cause it was canceled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, you know, it was, uh, a post-apocalyptic, uh, drama, uh, that was, um, set in Jericho. I want to say Kansas, uh, um,
1: somewhere in the Midwest.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it was on for, I believe two and a half seasons or maybe a season and a half. I'm not sure. Um, but they had like, they canceled after season one, and then there was a fan outcry. And so they, I think they built like half a season. Um, <laughs> that was that. But awesome. it was, it was he's, he's the older brother in that series. That's where I recognized him from, but I, I don't know him from anywhere else.
2: Okay. So in, well, the actor's name is Kenneth Mitchell. And I had just watched like a 20 minute interview with him before this episode. In season one, he played Cole, the Klingon who took over after Takuvma was killed. So Cole is the one who was piloting the Ship of the Dead. Uh, In the second season, I believe he played Cole's father in one episode. And then he also played Ash Tyler's son, the Klingon in charge of the time crystals, the guardian on the planet that Pike went to. Wow. And then he also did some voices on Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, In the time since he portrayed Cole in season one of Discovery, he was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. So that's one of the reasons why the character is in some sort of a conveyance, uh, because that is partly representing the actor as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of story behind that. Kind of like... Uh, no, nah, never
1: mind. They were able to bring him back for this. Like, like, apparently a lot of people were he was worried that like, he wouldn't have been able to be on Star Trek or act like this anymore. And they were like, well, oh, we got you.
2: Yeah. Even though he played relatively minor parts, like he wasn't a... Uh, main cast member from the interview that I saw, he really developed some deep relationships with the rest of the cast. And they've been very supportive of him, which is when you're going through something like that, really important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, however, this character, not the actor, but the character, I'm impressed that he got as far in his career and in his relationship with Osira, who calls him old friend as he has without ever witnessing what Osira is capable of.
1: Yeah. Well, agreed. Um... Yeah she's kept him all yeah she's kept him basically from that all of his life and uh and now he has to see it right up front yeah
2: and she didn't even insist that he leave the bridge she's like hey if you want to see that that's fine and she didn't really consider that hey there might be consequences to mm-hmm. removing the wool from his eyes
1: uh we'll find out next week but yeah um uh, his reactions in the background you can if you just watch him I mean, they kind of show him a little bit here and there, but if you just watch him, like, you can see the pain, like, oh, God, what's going on?
0: Uh Do you think that he was, is this maybe like his first journey out onto a mission of some kind where, where before he was maybe kept somewhere uh, to be isolated from any of these experiences?
2: Basically, is this his first away mission?
0: Yeah, exactly. Do you I think don't that's think
1: it? so, based okay. on some of her wording. like she mentioned something like, I try to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. you know, I make sure everything's safe first before bringing you or you know or doing stuff like this. And so I think it was not the first time, it's just the first time that he's been close where action is still going on. Mm-hmm.
2: I do feel like they're pulling a bit of an arium here where they're introducing a character to us. Right when it becomes important for us to know that character, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: you know, like I feel like there are other examples in Star Trek and Star Wars where a character is turncoat, like Ensign roe for example, in Next mm-hmm. Generation, when she ultimately betrays us. Then that is really profound because we've known her for several seasons. Whereas this scientist, I feel like he's being introduced just in time to betray Osira, and that. It's not quite a Deus Ex Machina, but I feel like it is very convenient. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I no argument there. Honestly,
0: I agree with what you're saying, Ken. That it's it seems like an oddly convenient time to introduce this character who has already been set up uh, to to revolt against Osira, and that he is the you know smartest, most fantastic scientist in three quadrants. So. What what will he then do for us, us Federation folk? Um, what will he then do for us once he uh, comes to the light side? If that is, in fact, how the story plays out, it'll be interesting.
2: Right. I mean, his primary connection in this episode was to Paul Stamets, who is no longer on board. So I don't think they're going to have much interaction, the two of them, next episode. And it's not like he can go to Osira and say no, I will not experiment on Paul Samus. And she's going to be like, that's because you don't have him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be someone who maybe she will listen to. He saw her murder Rin right there on the bridge.
2: That reminded me of the TNG episode. I think it was called The Most Toys, where Uh that collector captures Data. And at the end, he he hesitates to kill his uh, assistant, and then in the end, he just kind of shrugs and does it. Mm. And I feel like he pulled that off better than Osaira did because I never doubted that Osaira was going to kill Rin. Whereas in the TNG episode, I was like, he that fake out really had me thinking he was going to let her go. Mm. But no, Osaira, Rin never had a chance.
1: Uh, I mean, if it was earlier in the episode, she might have done it. But here, she was already like, nope, shit. things went. She was like, nope, shoot. Uh, things have uh, gone poorly, not according to plan. Uh, you know, we could just kill these people.
2: And we never actually did see the rest of the Discovery crew on that shuttlecraft arrive at Federation Yeah,
1: they <laughs> One shuttlecraft for an entire crew of like 100 people.
2: Yeah, like in Season 2, they needed those space bridges between Discovery and Enterprise to get everybody off, mm-hmm. and now it's just one shuttle? Yeah,
1: I, mean, I know it's a dramatically small crew compared to what was before, because they left at the same time, you know, like at end of Season 2, everyone's like, whoever wants to stay, stay, you know, it's just much smaller crew but i mean i was like one shuttlecraft still really yeah (laughs) also
2: do do they even have a functioning shuttle bay because the one that book (laughs) crashed into was all aflame
1: uh maybe that was part of (laughs) no uh yeah i'm guessing they have more than one shuttle bay this is probably just the primary one i mean even enterprise and all the other ships had more shuttle bays that's true but it was kind of funny that going online was like now we see the point why discovery was designed with an open uh, shuttle bay, so someone can crash into it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the the timing on that was impeccable. I was wondering how they were able to get in, but they said they had to drop the shields in order to enter Federation HQ. And I guess Book and Burnham knew that. I was like, dang, that is some good flying.
0: <laughs> has Wait, there ever also- been a starship with an open bay? Because I feel like they've always had some sort of, for lack of a better word, garage door. So
1: it, it has been, like. <laughs> No, yeah, it's always been that. Even like TNG, they would have the little warning as the garage doors opened and the force field's there. Right, right. And I guess closest is DS9 when these runabouts would be uh, set off into space. But even then, no, not open door.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like that would be a structural integrity issue, especially when they go to warp.
1: I mean, science fiction. Right now, now that the nacelles are pulled away from the ship, I can allow for an open door.
2: (laughs) Detachable (laughs) nacelles, yay. It
0: seems oh like gosh. an odd advancement in science, right there, doesn't it?
1: Right. <laughs> Wait,
0: the,
2: the open shuttle bay or the detached
0: the, cells? The detached cells. Like, what is right. what is the what is the benefit of that? Like, oh, great! Everything's so much better
2: now that those are detached.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I'll, I'll figure out some spacey wacy chat. Well, One day. Oh yeah.
2: Well, I mean, Voyager's nacelles folded up and down, so yeah. why not just detach them? But
1: that was their spacey, wacy thing. Was this is what makes it so we can travel, not damage the warp uh, or subspace and all that stuff.
2: Right. Which is not something Discovery knew about at the in the era yeah. it was invented. Yeah. So maybe they're like, oh, we need to retrofit you so that you're not destroying subspace. So it's so much easier to fold nacelles when they're just detached in the first place. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I don't know. Yeah,
0: sounds good. <laughs> we kind of touched on Osira. I would love to 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 discuss her <laughs> her interesting little you know, armistice that she presents to the federation. Um and obviously uh the admiral is fairly impressed with it after he reads it. Um do you guys feel this is authentic?
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay. I do. I don't speak for Ken. I would
2: not have believed it, except Eli, which is a very obvious anagram for lie, (laughs) uh, said that it's true. And that really surprised me. And I spent the next 10 minutes wondering how she was bypassing his lie detector. Because this didn't seem authentic, and yet before she beamed over from Discovery... She said to her crew, like, this is the biggest gamble of my career. And she actually looked nervous, which is not an emotion I'd ever seen on her. Right. And so there does seem to be some support for the idea that she is sincere.
0: I felt that it was looking sincere until um, Admiral asked her who would be the head of this, to which she, of course, uh, kind of points out she would use Aurelio. And he said, but would he be a puppet of yours? And she says, no, of course not. And that's when Eli says, that's not true. And she said, and this is what got me. She said, let me say that again. And that uh-huh. to me was kind of a trigger in my head of, so has she been lying the whole time and has figured out how to say it so that Eli believes her? But it's I don't I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. Because it seems like uh. a heck of a lot of work to put together all of this information to somehow betray the Federation in the end.
1: Oh. Uh. I think it was totally legit in that point until the moment where Vance is like, "Hey, you gotta answer for your crimes," and then she's like, "Oh no, I'm not accepting any responsibility." Right. Uh, that was not part of the plan. Uh, and no, that's when she fell apart. And that part where he's like, uh, "Eli's like, he she's lying." Uh, she's like, "No, say it again." And then she stands in front of him, trying to make it so he can't see her. Yeah. Whether that would work or not, <laughs> I mean, like, because he she saw that moment like things were falling apart. Like, oh no! Oh no! But I think she—I still think she was authentic.
2: I think this ties into the original name of the episode, "For the Good of the People." Vance said, "Your people are good. Please be as good as them." Hmm. And ultimately, Osira is in this for herself. You know, she knows what what Rin told us, which is that they are running low on day lithium, and this is for the salvation of the Emerald Chain. But even that salvation is ultimately to her benefit. She wants to rule an empire. Her empire is collapsing, so she needs to save the empire in order to save herself. And so when Vance says, you can do one but not both, she's like, that's a deal-breaker. What's the point of saving an empire if I can't be the emperor? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, be- I believe that everything she put in that armistice, everything she said was true, but I don't think we really got at her motives in that dialogue.
1: I liked this scene as well, because it actually made the Emerald Chain seem like a political entity and not just some villain bad guy of the week Mm, mm -hmm. um they actually feel like oh okay this this actual group of people in this world now not like the klingons or the romulans now it's like okay yeah this is actual political power and that scene i mean the whole thing was so well done i loved their little chess game of negotiations here um uh advance uh she's eating the apple (laughs) like (laughs) i mean she's trying to say like you know we got things like this and i can eat real food and as she's eating the apple and he's like it's made of our shite you know (laughs) uh and she starts pulling it up but he's saying and he's saying like i've never had a real apple but basically i'd rather have this than uh what you've got going on (laughs) like i would rather have this replicated fake stuff but you know, but this is our sacrifice to our to hold up our ideals. Right. Then you're we have to plunder planets.
2: Neil, let me ask you this: Have you been either skeptical or suspicious of Vance or the Federation up until this episode?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there. I, I definitely, when um, Discovery first arrives and meets with them, there's just this. I feel like there's always this hesitation with knowing what. Vance and the Federation is really doing. And I, I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's obviously struggled since the burn, um, but it almost feels like, I don't know, it's it's significantly weaker than it could ever think that it could be. And, and because it's constantly under this state of, you know, trying to do good, but also suffering, it just feels lost. And I don't know that, you know, Vance's, goals are to spread you know the, the the feeling of federation and and these this group of planets where it really just feels like they're trying to survive uh so i don't know it just feels like this constant struggle of we're trying to be good but at the same time we really can't be as good as we want to be and so i just don't have this i don't have this great feeling that they're actually holding up to the ideals of the federation as they could be but I get that it's a struggle. So
1: For much of our discussions here, we were like, I, I've definitely been like the, I don't know what's going on here at the Federation. Something still feels off Yeah. until this episode for me, to be okay. honest. Uh, Vance here, to me, she's like, okay, he's still upholding the views of the Federation. I think, now I think he's on the up and up. Until now, I think it was intentionally left a little vague. But now we see him actually upholding this mm-hmm. um, to me. I think, uh, but yeah, the whole season, I was like, something's going on. What's something still off, but not anymore, not anymore. Uh, but that's me. Uh, I think he's on the up and up now and, uh, he still holds Federation values that yeah. we know.
0: Yeah. I think this episode definitely showed him in a much, I don't know, nicer light with regard to the Federation. I am curious, uh, as a mentioned, why, why am I not meeting with the president? Um so I was I was a little curious. I don't remember that even being mentioned before this episode. Oh see uh, I,
1: I know the answer. Like we spent all our budget on making the nacelles be able to pull off discovery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> well, well, I wondered if both Vance and Osaira are merely representatives, because not only is there not a president we can't see, but also Osaira mentioned that she, she introduced herself as minister. And that can be a top billing title like prime minister, mm-hmm. but it might also mean something like emissary or ambassador, where she's a representative. So, do you think that there is somebody else above her in the emerald chain?
1: Uh, she implied that there's like she implied that there's like people who are actually in charge of decisions of the government. I think like, so. She's like no longer. She's not the ultimate authority that we assume. I always assume like she was just the evil overlord. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until this point, but it sounds like there actually is a government and she's just, but they don't have any political will or desire to stop her.
2: And do you think that there actually is a president? Because that could also be something that Vance is lying about in order to, you know, suggest that there is somebody more powerful. Like, don't screw with me or else I'll get dad and he'll get <laughs> mad at you. Uh,
1: well, the vast, you know, it's possible there isn't or it's an AI or something like that. Like control? Uh, I don't know. But uh, God, I can even imagine that if they go a thousand years in the future and this. But I don't know. It's uh <laughs> They intentionally left it vague for a reason. Yeah. Uh Either that reason is it matters to this plot or so they can use it in the future, possibly use it in the future. And I just, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer in this one. Yeah.
2: Because I'm thinking of this fantasy novel I read, which was actually written by the guy who wrote the DS9 episode, Far Beyond the Stars. Nice. Where the president is dead but they don't want to worry the general population but they also still want to be in control so they just keep saying oh the president is indisposed the president is not here etc when you know and we're we're making the shots we're calling the shots in the meantime but it's with his full authority and approval uh, And the fact is no he's dead uh, so happens. maybe maybe that's like yeah our president kind of uh signed off a couple years ago but uh, <laughs> we don't need to let you know that because that would be a sign of weakness right
1: uh it kind of happens in *Gideon the ninth too uh harrow <laughs> the harrow the hero, uh oh that's right i read died, that part into the book. yeah her parents died years ago but she still puppets them no one else knows she, or they're she's pretending a necromancer. yeah uh or they're all just like sure whatever okay okay <laughs> <laughs>
2: I guess in that sense, you could also say it's a weekend at Bernie's.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Discovery
2: is totally going weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) They're going to bring out the president and start moving his jaw. Hello.
1: (laughs) It's Juresh Inyo still. Uh, Awesome. We had uh, this, this episode. We had Die Hard in Space, which I really liked. Yeah. I enjoyed Michael Burnham going through the bowels of the ship. And uh, we even had the give me the detonators line, uh, more or less. uh, And she was, while she's out there, like we had Die Hard. Yeah. You said bowels. Yeah, the bowels of the ship. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When I saw your tweet before I saw this episode where you said that they were going Die Hard. So when I saw her get into the. Jeffrey's tube slash air duct. I was like, oh, that's what Sabriel meant. And then she lost her shoes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, come on.
1: But it wasn't a total, like, it was just enough where it's like, this is still our own. But yeah. Uh she's running around hopping uh well with her injured leg, but it was uh a foot uh, in the broken glass and diehard and all that stuff. And uh but yeah, they were having fun with that.
0: Very good Omar. Um, well it's sort of what was that? Uh, it was a very good homage. Yes.
2: Yes, it also reminded me of one of my most fun TNG episodes, Starship Mine, which was, mm-hmm. you know, Picard versus Tim Russ.
1: Yeah, Picard versus Tuvok.
2: Yeah, it's just him on the ship, pretending to be Mott the barber, going back to get his saddle, and all of a sudden, it's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I thought that was fun. Although I feel like I missed something. How? What was the nature of the phaser that Burnham was using? Did it morph from a bracelet into a phaser?
1: Uh, that's the part of the new tech that they have. Uh, we've seen it before, where like, even when they went down to the uh, giorgio and her went to the planet, uh, they hid. They could hide away the um, weapons into some pocket dimension uh, in their gear.
2: Oh, so yeah. that's not something she stole off the regulator she knocked out.
1: I mean, she may have stole the gun, but tech? No, it's new for this season because of it's the future. We've seen it before, uh, but it was kind of. I mean, it wasn't obvious, but yeah, uh, we saw George O hide a gun on her person when he went down to the planet.
2: Oh yeah. When you when you say the planet, do you mean uh, the slave guard, planet?
1: guardian planet? Guardian,
2: guardian planet. planet. Because I didn't notice seeing it before, and our friend Kay, who was on the show recently, I was watching this episode with them, and they said, "How is Burnham able to summon a?" phaser out of midair and i was like i don't know either <laughs> so that's if i i don't doubt you that they have shown this before but it was as you said very subtle and both Kay and i missed it until this episode where it was very obvious yeah although geez michael the very first guard you take out stabs you in the leg i mean you could have like taken out three or four and then gotten
1: hurt
0: Well, it's the first one as far as we saw. She could have taken out some other ones before that. We
1: just didn't get to see that. They just weren't as cool, so (laughs) we didn't get to see it.
2: I think Burnham is exactly as much of a badass as they show us her to be. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, well, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be on her bad side. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, are there characters on Discovery whose bad side you would want to be on?
1: Um, I mean, I mean, no one period, <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess, I mean, I don't want to be on anyone's bad side cause I, I try to be friendly with <laughs> everyone. Um, but I, I guess, uh, I think the point of the statement is to say you're afraid to be on that person's bad side. Whereas, right. you know, would I be afraid to be on Tilly's bad side? Probably not. She's fantastic. I love her, but you know, I don't think she's going to like kill me if she
2: were mad at me. <laughs> Whereas I Michael think Burnham in might. the prime, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in the prime universe, I would, I could survive being on Reese's bad side. Hmm. <laughs> in in the mirror universe, we saw him going toe to toe with.
1: Oisín. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, but in the prime universe, he seems pretty gentle. So I was like, mm, maybe you're gonna spit in my food, but that's pretty much the worst. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Neil, you mentioned Tilly. What do you think of her performance as acting captain?
0: I think she is doing as well as anyone could in the situation she was in. I don't think she's done anything incorrectly. So um, being overpowered by Osira, I don't think was necessarily a statement of her inability. (laughs) Uh, They were obviously trying to do about 50 things at once um, while that situation was going down. So the fact that in this episode... Um, you know, after once they're held captive, and she's still sort of basically running that group of bridge crew, I was kind of impressed that that was still kind of in motion, and everyone was respecting that chain of command because uh, you could you could see there was the opportunity for other people to kind of step in and do things, but especially once they had taken out the guards. I mean, Tilly's just pointing and telling people what to do, and everyone's like, "Yep, let's go do that." So. I thought that was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty impressed that whether or not she's making the right decisions, she's doing it decisively. And I think that's important in a situation like this.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And even Book said, it's not that I don't trust you. It's that you are our best hope. And that's why I'm staying behind is to cover your retreat. Right. Yeah.
1: It's like they're already behind her. They're behind her 100%. That's great. Yeah,
2: that's that was an important vote of confidence, I thought.
1: Rindying. Oh, we got to see the transwarp conduit, and uh, why it was somewhat dangerous. There's this ship graveyard, apparently.
2: Yeah, that we've never seen that before, and that's weird. It's just like there's all this jot- uh, jetsam and flotsam just floating around in a transwarp conduit. I- <laughs> is that uh, is uh, of, the same? I thought we of had, Starships. I
0: thought we had seen that before. Had we? I thought. Um when Michael had book, take her off the planet in like sh- 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 episode two of this season that the, cause I thought that's like the, the, the merchant subspace tunnel or something, but he had, maybe it wasn't in oh. the episode. Maybe he had talked about it and that it was completely overrun with basically wrecked ships at this point. Oh. I'm not sure. I kind of like when, when he was in it, I was like, Oh, this is that thing that was talked about before. Like it wasn't a surprise to me. So it had to be mentioned somewhere. Maybe I'm crazy though.
2: <laughs> well, they're not mutually exclusive.
0: <laughs> Very true.
2: <laughs> Remind me, is this the same method of transit that Voyager used in the series finale? Well,
1: same name. We don't know if it's actually the same because they've used like transwarp in the like, movies too. Uh, mm. But but that's. I mean, if we're gonna go with that, hypothetically, yes. Okay. But uh, we just don't know enough. But maybe.
2: I just thought it was interesting that these ships, who that are now broken and non-functional, would reside in this subspace as opposed to being nudged Not out of it. Like we've we've oh, fallen out of warp.
1: Oh, oh yeah. no! These are the conduits that the Vulcans helped make. I think they're trying to imply, and that's why they're, they're so dangerous, or something like that. And maybe these are lost ships, or these are sh- I don't. know.
2: I thought those conduits required like some sort of a stargate.
1: Uh, I mean, guess we didn't see them go into or out, did we?
2: Well, Here? We, we know we well. There wasn't one outside the Viridian Nebula. I don't think Vulcans would have built one yeah,
1: there. Yeah, maybe you're right. Could it be yeah. that these
2: are the
0: the Borg transwarp conduits, and those are all remnants of the future Borg having exploded during the burn?
1: I mean, they did well, mention. Oh, I didn't think about the Borg there, that, but they mentioned that. Uh, they mentioned like a uh, whatever class ship. Yeah.
2: Like, like they yeah. knew,
1: like of a Federation ship that was in there or type.
2: I don't know. I think this might be just another one of those plot conveniences. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I was going to say, space Ken, plot I was just going
0: to say, Ken, you mentioned maybe they would fall out of warp, but isn't that the point of the transwarp conduit is that you can't, right? Cause you're in the conduit. So there is no, oh. like the ship can't just fall out of warp. It's in the conduit. Cause the conduit itself is creating the warp field.
2: Kind of like with the, uh, D space nine wormhole. You can't go out anywhere other than the two points that it connects. Right.
1: Right. Kind of
2: huh, kind of like shoots and ladders.
1: <laughs> I mean, snakes
2: and
0: ladders. Yes, yeah, snakes and ladders. Uh, once you're on the snake, you you have to slide all the way down.
1: <laughs> That's right.
2: Because you, you can't fall off a snake. It's impossible. Right. We know this. Scientists
1: right. have uh, studied this.
2: Switching tacks for a moment. What do you think about them bringing back the Old West bad guy from Episode 2?
1: Oh, I told you he was going to come back. <laughs> Apparently he was in Deadwood. I only know him from a uh, Vikings TV show. Oh,
2: interesting. Okay,
1: but I wouldn't have known that unless I didn't saw someone, unless I wouldn't have seen someone talk about it. But uh, no, he's back. He's he was like we need a bad guy on the ship while Aris or Osyra's gone, and uh, he played that role. He seems
0: he was. <laughs> it's going to sound terrible. He was a much more believable character in the previous episode he was in. Yeah, I, I feel like. His his demeanor and his his conversations in this episode were kinda I don't know. Un, un, unimpassionate. I don't know how to say that. Like, uh, he, he was
1: he was the comic villain.
0: Yeah, I was kinda like, oh yeah, uh, I'll go get my my dudes and, and we'll figure out who it is. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You go get that done,
1: you guy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. He was important though for helping us show that sir was being truthful in her attempts because he kept saying like we're told to keep them alive we got to keep them alive we got to keep them alive well that's true Uh, he was that conveyance of that message even if his character was kind of a cartoony villain
0: it also showed that osiris does have authority because he's really in my mind the only other sort of leading bad guy we've seen Mm -hmm. um and he is just absolutely following whatever she says like there's no question Um, I thought that was maybe a statement to her authority.
2: I think one reason we may have seen such a change in his demeanor is because on two fronts, it's a very different context. The previous time we saw him, he was the bad guy. He had underlings under him, and now he has an authority that he reports to. Mm -hmm. And secondly, previously, he was intimidating a bunch of small people on a backward planet. And now he's dealing with an entire... Starship of people, so I think he is operating on a much different scale and in a yeah. much different hierarchy than he's accustomed to, and he is out of his element. He is looking for a job and he's looking for payback, but the only people who could give him either of those things are circumstances that he is just not comfortable with.
1: Mm. I can see that. I can see that. All right, we need to go. In, I need you to go into this role. Like you, you are in over your head. He's like, all right, I can do that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly like that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Perfect. That was uncanny. And also, you know what? Another good point about him uh, being brought back is the last time that he threatened Starfleet officers, it was Georgiou, Saru, and Tilly. And Georgiou and Saru told Tilly, when the shooting starts, you hide behind the bar. And she didn't do anything. And now, Georgiou is gone, Saru is gone, Tilly is the only one left, there's no bar for her to hide behind, and she is standing the hell up to this guy. Mm-hmm. So,
1: That's hell yeah. That's a great point.
2: So it's the same context for her, the same villain, but a very different reaction, and it's an opportunity for us to see her character evolution. Yeah. So I do find it a little unbelievable that he saved himself. I'm guessing maybe he had an emergency vehicle stashed on each planet that he was threatening so that he would never be stranded. Because I don't think he had anybody looking out for him to come save him.
1: I mean, uh, it is TV, uh, like a uh, pulp TV villain. You don't see him die. I think we even yeah. talked about it in that episode. You don't see him die. They're coming back.
2: Right. right. If right. there's no body, and sometimes even then, like we saw with Culber,
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> anything yeah, was, is possible. Yeah, Star Trek death is only a setback. That's
2: true. <laughs> you can always clone them or get their mirror universe counterpart or Anything you know? Make a holodeck recreation or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> uh, anything else going on this episode? We want to chat about.
1: Uh, I mean, Aurelio, Aurelio. It's kind of interesting. Like he's in the future that we know of Star Trek and the original TNG thing. Like they have cures for everything. But here in this thousand years, and things are a little different. Like he said. He said, "Like I should have been dead." I thought that was interesting. Like or basically not kept, not kept alive. I thought that was an interesting take on culture then. Right. Well, I
0: think he alludes to that, right, that, that, that you know, in the time you came from when science was free, you know, maybe I would have been fine. But because of where I am, you know, I'm I'm lucky to have had Osira fix me.
2: Well, without spoilers, we saw in Picard where due to a lack of access to resources, a character died and that could have been prevented. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: What did you think of the sphere data showing up as the helper
2: oh,
1: robots? Oh, the dots.
2: I loved that there was a slight foreshadowing of it when they said that they couldn't delete this old movie yeah, clip. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew something was going to happen. But also, more important, this vindicates me because I asked episodes ago in Transporter Lock, why are the dots in the opening sequence? They must be important. Right. And they are. They, they are. are. Yeah. Yes. So, ha. But
0: <laughs> You told all of us, Ken. <laughs> uh, all three of you listeners.
2: Steve. Yeah, that's you. I'm talking to you. I Well, the, the sphere data we saw at the end of season two will not allow the ship to be destroyed. And I feel like it could have exerted more authority in this season to ensure that it didn't get captured in the first place.
1: Uh, Maybe it doesn't want to make itself too obvious.
2: It's possible, but also for all that sphere data to fit into a little dot... Now, we don't know the storage capacities of these machines, so I'm making some assumptions, but given that they are so much physically smaller than the ship, I assume they also have a smaller computer, smaller hard drive, smaller memory. All that sphere data compressed into uh, just a few dots well, is impressive to me.
1: Did they say that it's totally completely hidden there, or just imply that uh, it's controlling these dots? Yeah. I don't. I I, I may have missed it. I just don't remember.
2: No, you're right. The sphere data could still be in the main computer. But when Burnham said you hid yourself in the dots, I took that to mean that it moved itself.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's that's very. I mean, I just couldn't remember the wording.
2: I guess
0: I look at it this way: the sphere data got into Discovery nine hundred and whatever years ago, right? Nine hundred thirty years ago. At that time, it took up a lot of computer space. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be some significant <laughs> advances in computer storage in a millennia. So uh, that's why I thought it was interesting that they even said, oh, it's just this little bit of code. Because to the storage capacity of the computer now, it's probably just a little bit of code. And so therefore, to say that these dots wouldn't be able to hold it, I, I, I think that there could be a full copy
2: of the sphere data
0: in every single one of those dots.
1: 20 bajillion giga quads, how quaint. <laughs> uh... <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Well, you, you know, there's this uh, comic strip called PC Weenies. And uh, one of my favorite strips from 2008, it shows a guy in 1984 saying, Rad, a three and a half inch disc drive. Goodbye, five and a quarter inch floppies. Future, here I come. <laughs> and then it shows the same guy in 1989. Cool, a 40 megabyte hard drive. It'll take me years to use all that space. <laughs> and then to, in 2008, dude, a four terabyte RAID drive. I'll never fill this up. <laughs> and now he's. it shows him at the service desk of a computer store in the year 2052. And the clerk is saying, 100 zettabytes? Are you running a vintage machine?
0: (laughs) Exactly. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of storage. I thought it was interesting that as, so I did not mention this earlier about me, but I work sort of in the movie streaming business. So to see that the Sphere data appeared to have been encoded into video files, I thought was pretty fantastic. That's how I read into that myself.
2: (laughs) Oh, oh, you know what? That's a really good point. I took it very literally when they said that they couldn't delete that Charlie Chaplin movie. The movie itself might have been the sphere data. Yes,
0: that's how I kind of was like, oh, that's the sphere. Like, I took it right away. Like, oh, that's the sphere data. Probably coded into video frames.
2: (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. That's a very clever interpretation. Well done, Captain of Engineering. (laughs) It's
0: not my first rodeo of starships. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I guess you can stay on this one for the, the meantime. <laughs> Thanks. We're not going to jettison you out the airlock. <laughs> wow, cool. So, this means that in the last episode of the season, assuming they want to tie everything up, they need to get Discovery back, figure out some sort of an agreement with the Emerald Chain, Go back to the Dilithium plant and save Saru, Culber, and Adira. Find out why the Distress Signal was a song that everybody knew. Figure out how Sukal was able to create the burn so that they can prevent it from happening again. There's a lot here.
1: Uh huh.
0: <laughs> as well as figure out how to mine Dilithium from a planet made of Dilithium. Because I'm sure that they're going to want that.
1: Uh, is this going to have something to do with the short trek where Tilly met the girl from the planet? who refined lithium
2: yeah i don't know if uh i'm not sure if that comes into play i know it made her very significant in the end of season two but we haven't heard any mention of that planet or that race or their technology in season three
1: yeah good point uh it just it's loose ends you know or potential (laughs) loose ends um I strongly suggest if you have access to Ready Room to listen to this one because they had Jonathan Frakes on. And I love listening to directors now talk about their work and how they got this. And him talking about the scene with Sonequa and uh, Anthony Rapp, getting them to do that scene. uh, It was just amazing work and basically told them like, go all out. I can pull you back if you go overdo it, but it's harder to me to push you harder and harder. And so they were just acting their hearts out for that and it just sounded freaking incredible hmm. what i would love to be on the see on the set of that
2: i mean the actors who play stamets and michael aren't even friends anymore
1: <laughs> yeah right it was so powerful no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i need you to really hate each other we're like can do
1: so i i strongly suggest if you can watch this week's ready room this is like one of the ones to watch
0: okay oh, and- is that something you have access to neil i'll have to see if i can find it uh, it's not readily available.
2: <laughs> oh, I see what you did there.
1: <laughs> uh, and finally, like this week, I had the two instances of like Star Trek people. Like I see in my other media, uh, and both names were mentioned. We mentioned today. I thought were interesting. Uh, Tim Russ. He, yes. I've been playing a lot of Warcraft Shadowlands, and he is one of the quest givers. I was like doing something, and all of a sudden, his voice comes on, like. <gasps> I know that voice. Oh, cool. uh, <laughs> and um, also, I've, I've been rewatching watching TV show Psych, and we're almost at the end. And one of the later episodes, they do Psych the Musical. And who is our one of our main antagonists, or pro- antagonists this episode? It's Anthony Rapp. Oh, I totally oh, forgot course. he was in there. And it was nice. a musical episode, so he got to do his singing, too. It was great. And I t- tweeted that out. And he liked my tweet, so I was all happy. Oh, that's
2: awesome. (laughs) So, speaking of actors we know from other places, we've talked about David Cronenberg, who plays the glasses guy in this season, who is fascinated with the Mirror Universe. What do you think are the odds that he is the president of the Federation?
1: Oh. Maybe, actually, that's a good question. Like, we
2: don't know his role, and it could just be creepy guy fascinated with the Mirror Universe, (laughs) Uh and that's fine. I'm not saying he needs to be something else, but... I mean, I feel like we also haven't seen the end of him, even though there is no more Mirror Universe characters in this season. That's know. a
1: good point. I had not thought that. Like, what is his role? We don't know what he does.
2: And and one more question. I, we're really hopping around now. But if Oxyra is sincere in her desire for an armistice, why did she show up in a stolen Federation vessel? She said she needed leverage. But at the same time, it sort of undermines her intentions here.
0: Right. She could have just showed up, and and no no weapons on. Like I'm here to talk. Let's have a conversation. Like she could have done it without any of that mess.
2: Right. You don't start a peace negotiation with an act of war. Right. I
1: mean, I think they even kind of touched on that a little bit. Like, what is your play here? And I still don't have an answer. I don't have a good answer though. Still, to be honest. Uh.
2: I I mean, is her tactic to say, if you don't agree to peace with us, we're going to steal your most precious technology? Because that's not a great uh, negotiation gambit.
1: Yes, it's less negotiation and trying to force their hand. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, that's that's not negotiation. That's extortion.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's an odd play, any way you look at it, that, again, unless it's just that selfish mindset of, like, I have to have this backup plan if my gamble
2: fails... Um, right.
1: Maybe that's all she knows.
2: Yeah. And if she's if it's just a stalling tactic while her scientist deciphers the spore drive, then don't go to Federation headquarters in the first place. Yeah, there was no
0: reason to go there except to go talk to them. So.
2: Right. Hmm. I don't know. I, however, I do enjoy that. I think we saw more of Osira and of Vance, either of them, in this episode than we have in the rest of the season combined. And it was a really great opportunity to see these characters in a new environment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Osira, before this episode, seemed um, in storyline godlike. Like she was just this, you know, evil master from elsewhere land. <laughs> and now she, uh-huh. she's become this real character. Um, like you mentioned Sabriel she's she's in power of some kind there's a political body behind the Emerald chain that I feel like I wasn't really absorbing uh, up until this episode you
2: know there's a great star trek voyager short story published in one of the strange new worlds anthologies where tom paris used to love going into the holodeck to play his captain proton mm-hmm. holo stories and in one of the in the short story Harry Kim had hacked it to give the villain a backstory. As the villain is torturing Tom Paris, he says, oh, the reason I'm evil is because my father never loved me as I was a child. (laughs) And Tom says, like, computer, stop programming. He says to Harry, like, you've ruined it. The reason I love this game is because it's literally and conceptually black and white. I get to be the good guy against the bad guy. And if you make the bad guy empathetic, then I can no longer pull the trigger on him Mm conscience-free because now I can understand why he is that way. And yet, I think, and for the purpose Tom Paris was looking for, I can understand that, but I think the sort of narrative that we Trekkies enjoy nowadays is a little bit more nuanced than what Tom Paris looks for in a holodeck. And I think having a villain like Osira, who was, as you said, Neil, somewhat one-dimensional prior to this now we see her wanting something that isn't evil Mm -hmm. we see her being nervous about it we see her making compromises you know it's fine and dandy to just have your nephew eaten by a transform (laughs) but to actually sit down at a table and say this is what i'm willing to give and this is what i'm not and i hope that you agree with me that really does redefine the character right so as stamets said she is more than what she appears to be, but she's also exactly uh-huh. what she appears to be. Right. Anyway, that's my last monologue of this episode of Transporter Log. <laughs> you promise? Anything else going on?
1: <laughs> uh, not for me. I think that's a good cover because you know this episode ends, you know, before the whole the story is uh, resolved. So it's still like, uh, what's going to happen next? And I can't wait to see what happens next.
2: And and what happens next is not the episode outside, which is the original name. It's that hope is you part two.
1: Yeah, yeah. Finally. Uh, so I mentioned like we were like, what's going on with these episode titles? I'll see it's like these are so weird names. And then um, these last few, they're changing the names on us. And in Ready Room, it was clearly recorded short, somewhat before Thanksgiving, by what they're talking about in there. And but Will Wheaton calls it by the quote unquote correct name. Uh, and so they've had these, they either gave a list of old names like months ago and never bothered correcting them, or they've had a change in mind for at least a month and a half, two months, and just so never bothered. You're saying,
2: you're saying Ready Room was recorded before Thanksgiving? Yeah,
1: the way that uh, he and uh, Jonathan Fraser were talking, uh, gotcha. it was recorded before Thanksgiving, because Jonathan Fraser said something about, yeah, we're going up to Vancouver for season four. Uh, after Thanksgiving.
2: Okay, so Thanksgiving twenty twenty, because Discovery season three, as far as we understand it, was recorded in its entirety before the pandemic struck. Yeah. So the ready rooms are recorded well after, closer to publication oh,
1: date. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but so so sometime, I guess we don't really know when, but sometime uh, between summer and Thanksgiving
2: <laughs> of twenty yeah, twenty. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. It would be funny if that hope is you part two picks right up where the first one ended and we get to see what michael did for that year uh, Maybe, and well. then we're like but and then we're like well, well what 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 about federation headquarters what about Osyra? Nope, nope. And they're, and they're like oh that's all that's all a year from now we'll get to it next season <laughs> yeah this is the penultimate episode just one to go yeah wow
0: it's certainly possible they could just leave us hanging until next season but i'm sure we would all be very sad by that
2: Yes. I mean, both of those things are true. They could do that, and we would be sad. (laughs) But, you know, we really haven't had a lot of cliffhangers, per se. Like, the end of Season 1 cliffhanged with, oh, look, it's the Enterprise. But everything else that had happened that season was tidied up. So this was more of a teaser than a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And same with Season 2. Like, everything that was happening, like, they had to destroy control and get the sphere data to the future. Mission accomplished. It's not like when uh, all good things ended and like we have to fight the Borg and defeat them and rescue Picard and neither of those things happened and we have to wait to find out what happens. So I'm hoping that everything in this season gets tied up with maybe some teasers for the next season, but it's a lot to expect from just one more episode. Yeah. Well, Neil Beardsley, Captain of Engineering, it's been a pleasure having you on the Transporter Lock podcast. It's been a
0: pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me and and having this fantastic discussion about discovery.
2: Where can our listeners find you online? I would say that the best
0: place would be at my travel site, which is bluebagredbag.com. As mentioned at the beginning, I'm also commonly known online as N.A. Beards, so you can find me with that name on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Sabriel, any parting shots for our friend?
1: Uh, just now. Thank you very much for coming on.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. And you didn't think that you would know enough Star know. Trek. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time.
1: Hit it.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporter Lock or subscribing to our podcast
1: and email newsletter at transporterlock.com.
0: Well, as usual, I'm impressed with that. So I, I look forward to <laughs> seeing your editing. <laughs> Longstanding old jokes, Gabriel. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to bother trying to
2: explain it. No, anymore. it's not worth <laughs> it. No, no, it's cool. It's
0: cool.
2: Maybe we can work some into the episode too so that the rest of the audience can be like, what the? <laughs> It'll be you? great. Yeah. Right, why am I listening to this? That's what I ask myself every day. Okay. <laughs>
0: I have tears in my eyes. Darn it, Kim. <laughs>
2: <laughs> tears of joy. Oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. Why do they call them chip clips anyway?
0: Stop it. We're never going to get through this if you get on that road.
2: <laughs> it's too late, man. It's too late.